Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta, Yerdena Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachatanit, daf kaf aleph, page 21. So we're still relating back to that long Mishnah. And in this case, I want to talk about one of the items, and Yerdena will talk about the other one, but I would say that our theme for the day, if we've got one, is really, I would say, the positive impact or potential positive impact of tzaddikim. So we'll, you'll hear how this unfolds. Um, the part I want to talk about is by a very famous um, sage named Nachum Ish Gamzu. And the Gemara's context here is the discussion of a mapolet, of where you have buildings that were falling down. And that was part of the concern in the Mishnah, that if you have buildings that are, you know, enough buildings that are falling down, that's cause for concern and prayer and calling out to Hashem and so on. So in this context, we have the story of Nachum Ish Gamzu. So this Nachum was in really a bad situation. He's blind in both eyes. And the Gemara goes on to say both of his arms were amputated. Both of his legs were amputated. He's got boils. He's lying in a dilapidated house. And the concern is, of course, that it's going now to fall on top of him and crush him. And so the concern is, that, oh, and, and one last very gruesome detail, which I feel that I must share because it is just that bad. They put the legs of his bed in buckets of water to make sure that the ants would not crawl from the floor up onto him, which is sounds just about as bad as it could possibly be. Um, so there's all kinds of things in this house or this building that's at risk of falling down. And he said to them, and so the, the students come to take him out, you know, to bring him out of this building before it falls down. And he says to them, um, he says, "Banai panu etakilim vacharkach panu etmitati." Take out all the other things that are in this in this house in this building, and then afterwards take me out. Because as long as I am here, the building is not going to fall. Which is a great statement of confidence. But also, he had that knowledge, right? Because of his righteousness, which we'll hear more about in a moment, he knows that the building is not going to crush him. But if the moment they take him out then everything else that's in there is going to be crushed by the building falling. And in fact, that's what they did. They took out all the stuff. And then they took out his bed. And immediately, then the house collapses. So, I mean, you know, the, the drama of this is is very um, precise, I would say. Right? It makes the point very clearly. Um, but again, the fact that he knows that this that he has this potential here is very much a matter of him being a righteous person. The next makes this point. We see that you are completely righteous. But so then why did this, all of this suffering happen to you? Meaning you're so righteous. So now look, he's got no arms. He's got no legs. He, you know, he's in a very terrible, he's got boils. It's a terrible situation. How could this be? And this should remind you, of course, of the book of Eov, Job, who is God's faithful servant, who everything, you know, befalls him. And there we've got a real explanation why, because the first two chapters of the book of Eov talk about the shenanigans of the Satan, who's coming to, you know, on a dare, um, is able to do all kinds of horrible things to Eov, and Eov never, um, you know, um, recants his faith in God. In this case, we have a similar figure. Uh, the Gemara does not actually draw this comparison, but I just think it's too evident to let it go by, right? But he says to them, "Banai ani garamti la'atzmi." He said, "I brought it on myself." Meaning, what did he do? 
that he says one time he was traveling to his father-in-law's house and he had with himself, he, I'm sorry, he had with him three donkeys. One was carrying the food. One is carrying the drink and one is carrying treats. And then, uh, a poor person came and stood and asked, you know, for and was begging in the in the road. Vamarli, Rebbe Parnasani, give me something to to live on. Amarti lo hamtein adshe frok minachamor. And he said, Hang on, wait until Nachum Ishgamzu says to this man, You wait, this beggar, you wait while I unload the donkey, and then I'll give you something to eat. And then by the time he unloads the donkey, what's happened? This man, this poor decrepit man, has died out of starvation or whatever it is. And again, I say that the drama of this is very precise in terms of all the timing of it happening exactly as it does. Um, we could delve into that a great deal more than we're going to now, but I think it's worth noting. So then what happens? He, he, he goes, Nachum Gamzu goes to this man and says, he says, because he didn't have sufficient compassion and he didn't rush and he didn't he didn't take care of this man, right? So then let his eyes be blind and his hands be cut off and his legs be cut off because he lacked in compassion for this for this beggar. And then, I'm sorry, he says he wasn't he wasn't comfortable even with that in terms of penance until he said, let his whole body be covered with boils. And so then it was and his goal was, of course, that he that all of this suffering should be an atonement for him, a kapara for himself, for all that he failed before this beggar. So then the students say to him, so woe is to us that we have seen you in such a sorry state. And he says back to them, what was me if you had not seen me in this state? Meaning for all that it's suffering, he wants that suffering because he's under, the, you know, he's in the, in the mind frame of that suffering is providing him the atonement. And I think this is, I think it's a very difficult story. Um, I think it's both, both that he feels this, um, you know, to such a degree, the need that he that he did so such wrong doing, or that he wronged the beggar so much, um, to such a degree, and also um, that this is ongoing, right? It's not as if he can get his arms and legs back if maybe the boils can go away. Um, then the Gemara wants to know why did they call him Nachum Ish Gamzu? The whole milta dahava salkale amar Gamzu litova. So they called him Nachum Ish Gamzu because no matter what happened, he would say. Also, this is for the for for the good, or we we might now say everything happens for the for the best, right? That's the the modern phrase, I suppose. And so then, for example, um, whatever all of these all of this suffering, he related to it as a, in a positive way. So then, when the Jews apparently, and this brings the story into the historical context, the Jews wanted to send a gift to the house of the emperor. To Leve Caesar, to Caesar, they said, "Who should go bring the bring the gift?" And they said, "Well, let's get Nachumich Gamzu to go because he's accustomed to miracles, which, of course, is an interesting way to talk about all the suffering that he's experienced as miracles. But I suppose it's God's hand guiding his life, right?" So they sent him with a chest of uh, a treasure chest of jewels and pearls, and 
the story gets much more complicated. But basically, what happens is that um, he has miracles befall him, including from the dust of from the dirt of the inn where he stayed, and that it then turns into you know jewels and pearls, whatever. And so I don't want to read through all of this. I recommend reading through all of this because it's got all the fixings of a fairy tale in terms of there's an emperor and there's the poor guy who comes with his chest of uh, you know treasure chest with the jewels and the pearls and at the end of the at the end of it right what happens is they say you have to do it following this precise formula and then they did do it following this precise formula but because Nachum Ishgamzu was no longer there it wasn't his story it was no longer in his merit so when the emperor is testing you know the exact formula of how he's supposed to get the riches it didn't work and so because he doesn't have the miraculous powers that was Nachum's um, righteousness so then in the end the, and this is less fairy tale like the emperor has the people who try to sell him on this story that he could get riches from the dirt of the ground, whatever. Um, he has them put to death. And that's the end of this story. Then the Gemara goes back to parsing the Mishnah. And I find it to be like a little bit startling because it's, you know, it kind of cuts it. it it's not a happily ever after story. Nachamich Gamzu is fine, but the presentation of relying on miracles ends with a, yeah, don't do that in in a very cautionary tale kind of way without spelling it out though, which I found to be, you know, again, like the drama is there, the pageantry is there. You can make a play of this and it would work well. Um, and, but it's also got a startling, um, you know, the ending doesn't tie up the loose ends. You just have to understand that is a critique of this idea that you could just, you know, follow some magic formula and get the and get the miracles to happen to you because if you're not that righteous, too bad for you. So the only other thing I want to point out is there's a few variations of sort of Nachamish Kamzu's stories. He appears in other places in the Gemara, but he's Rabbi Akiva's teacher. Um, and so uh, we will see sort of Rabbi Akiva versions of this Gamzu Latova as well. Um, so just keep that in mind. But, you know, he's Nachamish Gamzu. I think this is probably the most famous, but you agree, Anne, of his Gamzu Latova stories? Um, maybe. I said he shows up in another few places. I think, you know, he's a character, you know, he, he's presented as a figure of note, um, more so than I think he is presented as one of the rabbis of the Talmud, meaning he is one of the rabbis of the Talmud, but, but he's there in this more narrative capacity, I feel, as opposed to poskening and things. Right. I, right. It's his attitude towards life that's important or sort of his story and not his halakha. And I think it's also really interesting. We know very often, like who was whose teacher and who's whose student, but it's very rare that we sort of see like a teacher who is associated with a particular, you know, sort of tag or phrase. And then we see the student associated with the same one. So it's almost like when you see the Gamzu Latova, you're like, oh, wait, but don't we say that with Rabbi Akiva? And that's because Rabbi Akiva is the student. So I think that's also an interesting piece to him as well. Um, and, and I'll just, what, one final thing is, I do think that we think it is laudatory to, to have an approach of Gamzu Latova, that when stuff happens in the world, we try to say, you know, this is happening for the best. There's, it, we'll, we'll understand more down the road why this would possibly be for the better, the better right. situation, you know. We don't we don't pan him. We take this on as a sign of righteousness and, and try to work towards it, I think, even though the rest of the story really low Elena, we don't want it. Right. And I and I think today it gets articulated more sort of like Hashem has a plan or, you know, 
this is what's meant to be. It's all going to work out in the end. Um, I'm going to move down to Amud Bet. Um, and it's in the context of talking about, you know, plagues uh, that happen and what actually constitutes a plague. And the commercials shares two interesting stories. Uh, so there was a plague of pestilence in Surah. But in the neighborhood of Rav, right in Surah, where we know he lived, there was no pestilence. And so everyone there thought it was because they were very blessed to live in a city where Rav was. And it was in Rav's Zahut, right in Rav's marriage, that there was no plague. Um, but it was revealed to them in a dream. And I find this language to be fascinating. In other words, does it mean that collectively, like everyone in the city had the same dream? Rav right? Yes, Rav's merit was, was too great. That in other words, and this matter is too small for the zuchut of Rav to be involved. So, um, uh, and therefore it says, El mishumahu gavra de mashil mara uzvila lukvura. Rather, it was due to a, a, a someone else in the neighborhood who um, who would lend his his mara, his hoe, his, his hoe and his shovel, this vila, to help prepare people for burial. So a few interesting things here. One, the idea that the secret about why, uh, you know, this surah was spared was revealed to everybody in a dream. I'm not sure that I totally understand that. Um, the second is this concept that almost like, you know, when we say, oh, it's in a great man's zahut or it's in your zahut. And here the Gemara is almost saying like, that's almost insulting to Rav. Like Rav's merit is so great. Like would Rav actually be involved with this or, you know, it wouldn't need to be because of Rav. And then the last piece is, is that sort of the the quiet hero here, the person who just sort of does what, you know, uh, my father would always sort of call uh, doing ordinary things with extraordinary kindness, right? The simple act of just, you know, sort of lending your tools for proper burial. It's in that person's salut that, you know, this miracle happened in Surah. And then the Gemara goes on to give a second story like this, Bidro Bidro Keret Havot Delekta. So in Drokrat, okay, there was a fire. But in the neighborhood of Ravuna, there was no fire. Right? So again, they thought that it was because of Ravuna's, you know, greatness in his zakhut that there was no fire. And again, the same thing. It was revealed to them in a dream. Right. So again, the same idea that sort of this matter was too small for Rav Huna to have anything to do with it. But it was because there was a woman who heated her oven and lent her oven to her neighbors. So, you know, I think these are two beautiful stories, not particularly as famous as the one of Nachamish Gamzu is. I'm almost struck by the way these stories are not as famous. But these are two beautiful stories about sort of the idea of people doing very, very ordinary things that have tremendous, tremendous impact. I still don't understand the dream piece. I find the dream thing to be very interesting. Like, what does it mean collectively everybody had the same dream? How did everybody figure that out? And I don't know if you have a good, I didn't see any good commentaries on this either. I don't have any, meaning I think that there are commentaries that specialize in this kind of piece of Gemara. But they are harder to come by, so, so, 
but anyhow, so I think, you know, it's, this is a nice rich staff with some really interesting uh, stories. And I think sort of give us some uh, attitudes toward, towards life really to think about, right? The Nakamish Gamzu, you know, sort of saying, uh, having a Gamzu Latova attitude in life. And, uh, you know, I think these two stories are sort of here to teach the lesson of really never, you know, consider sometimes these small things that people do that really could have such tremendous impact that here we're saying that, you know, it saved the city from plague. It saved the city from a fire because of these small things that people did. That's our DAF discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcast. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think of this DAF. Thank you to Rebbe Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. And until tomorrow, go and learn.